John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you heard last week's message about the enemy, you just need to know that right there. The darkness cannot, will not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to, yet to all who did receive him, to, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, crying out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of the fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the low has, was given... For the law, excuse me, that was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself, God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Jesus I know. We're going to be studying the book of John over the next seven weeks. But the challenge is not about us just understanding John. The challenge is us knowing how to articulate the Jesus I know. What if I challenged you today to write a gospel? I mean, according to your personal experiences with Jesus, and its, its intent is this. What I am writing is so you might believe that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and believing you may have life through his name. The gospel of Kurt. Now, that sounds sacrilegious when you first say it out loud, right? Stick with me. The gospel is not about Kurt. The gospel is about the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news about him coming into my life and the evidence of it. Probably how I came to know him. Specific moments in my life that I would put down and, and you'd get a chance to read about that. Or people I've known in life who have shared their story with me. I know that they're credible people and I know that this is their experience. And I would probably put that in there too. Again, the purpose for writing this is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life through his name. 
I'm not sure, as I was reading this this week, and I was reading the first, and of course I've read John so many times, it's probably the one book that I've read the most in Scripture. Now, I've read through the Bible quite a few times, and I'll camp out on certain ones, but John seems to be the one that I'm drawn back to. John seems to be the one that I want to, if I'm going to pitch a tent and put the stakes out there, I'm going to camp out on that, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that and, and, and why I do that. But one of the things that's interesting to me, and we can read it through all the Gospels, is just really thinking what it was like for the disciples. Were they looking for a Messiah? I mean, really? Or were they going about their daily living? Mostly middle class, probably little, some a few upper, some a few lower, some right in the middle, but, but mostly middle class, and was living if everything was okay. The most likely scenario is we read about them, their life wasn't terrible. Their, night, their lives didn't come to Jesus, and then their lives were all crashing down around them. No, most likely for the disciples, they came to Jesus, and everyday life was happening. Of course, they were Jewish, and they were supposed to be looking for the Messiah. The concept of the Messiah coming was not foreign to them or would not have been nothing new to them, but it had been a long time, right? Sometimes you just get fatigued and you just go about living your life. So when they come to Jesus, and we see it in John chapter 1. I'm not going to read it. You can read it for yourself. But we see some of the disciples coming to Jesus. And they immediately turn and follow him. How do we explain this instantaneous knowing? Then instantaneous knowing deep down in your knower that there's something to this. Isn't this how it happens to many of us? We're living our everyday lives. As the video says, kind of like nobody's. Not really. I mean, we, everybody loves us, right? Everybody thinks we're somebody. Everybody thinks we're, maybe not. But we're living our everyday lives. We're not really looking for Jesus. And to be honest, our lives are probably not in some kind of distraught, seemingly dysfunctional disarray. Now, we may have known in our internal or eternal, whatever you want to call it, knower, that there was something bigger. There was something more going on in the world. But you know what? I just don't have time to focus on that. I really don't have time to really think about that there's something bigger going on in the world. I really don't have, maybe it's my age. Maybe I can think about that later some other day. But I don't want to do it. Today, and matter of fact, I'm not sure I'll ever want to do it, but I'm not focused on it for sure. Now, if you're like me, if you're raised in the South, 
You have no choice but to know that Jesus is out there somewhere. Everybody's a Christian in the South. If you're from the South, you know that. Or at least they claim to be. They're part of some church somewhere, it seems like. That was years ago. I know things have changed in the South, but it used to that, but either way. Everybody knew that you knew and you're knower. That you're supposed to be doing something or at least be connected somehow or to something. And we knew something out there would someday maybe come back in a bigger way, but for sure that someday wasn't today. But all that changes in a moment. Now, sure, things happen over time that build up to this moment. There are times you see a little glimpse. I know when I was 16, I would see a little glimpse of what I probably should be doing. I'd see a little glimpse. There'd be this tug. There would be this whatever you want to call it. There would seem to be that. And I would lean into it a little bit and then run from it. You'd realize at times, and maybe for you, you're here today, you realize you should probably be paying more attention to it. But you just take the can and go, bam, right? I'm just going to kick it down there. And then, of course, if you're in church or something and you're here and you feel this thing that starts happening to you, this little bit of something in you that starts going down into your nowhere and it starts uh, changing you, But then there's those of us who were away from church, who were, like for me, 26, who who somehow or another, this thing caught up with me. It started getting my attention. I was living a good life. It started getting my attention. What I didn't know, especially from a Wesleyan note, if you're uh, in that vein of, of theology, is what we call provenient grace. It's that grace. It really is the Spirit, because the Spirit, the Scripture says this, no one comes to Christ, but the Spirit draw them. I can't convince you. I can't talk fast enough, even though I can talk very fast. But I can't talk fast enough to get you saved. I can get you to make a decision. I can get you to sign on the eternal dotted line. But the ink may fade and disappear because I talked you into it. And the Spirit didn't draw you. Oh, but when the Spirit draws you, it's annoying. When the Spirit begins to awaken you, you try to kick the can down the road, but you don't. It just keeps kind of hanging around for a season. It almost kind of like, man, I, I can't go play ball. I can't go fishing. I can't go somehow or another. It just keeps in my knower, wakening my, my knower deep down inside of me going, there's something more. We would say it woos us for some, persuades us. For the disciples, as John begins to write here, they have a voice 
that is now in front of them awakening them. <clears throat> Did they go looking for John the Baptist? Doubt it. At least initially. But John was very clear, right? He said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm an awakening you. I'm here as a voice, as a word to awaken you to the Messiah. I am here to pave the way. Get your head up. He's here. The voice. The word. Sure. Sometimes circumstances come along and begin to awaken you. Maybe there are people who have come into your life, and you begin to look at that circumstance and go, wow, okay, how did they end up here? Or maybe you moved and you're, you're, you're being exposed to something, maybe not before. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe, maybe it's a Sunday morning early, uh, a, a TV show or, or, or an evangelist or, or, or a preacher from somewhere. But it may be somewhere things begin to awaken you and begin to go, how? Okay, I, I don't know what to do with this. But there's a voice in the desert. There's something trying to, and I don't know it, I don't even know what it means, but something's trying to pave the way. You can't explain it, but you can't explain it away. Anybody ever been there? You can't quite explain what it is, but you also can't explain it away enough to get rid of it. Or you can eventually harden yourself to it. Well, that was it for me. Not really able to explain how I was standing in front of that church on December 14th, 1986, as Pastor Roy Ford stood to my right, I'm standing here, and I'm standing in front of that little Baptist, uh, Baptist church, First Baptist Church, Hooks, Texas, as I'm standing there, and those folks are coming around shaking my hand and welcoming me into the kingdom and ultimately to First Baptist Church. They were, they were shaking my hand, and I'm sitting there going, how did I end up here? What am I doing here? Of course, I knew enough. I knew enough. I was raised around church. I'd had this wooing before. I knew enough. So in one way, it made sense that I was standing there, right? But, but my thought was it would be someday, just not today. But someday when I'm older and don't have a real life, 60 like I am now, where I have no life, I'm on the backside, crippled. <laughs> and when you're 26, you think some weird things, right? <laughs> People 35 seem old at 26, let alone 60. On the other hand, it made no sense for me to be standing there. 
was so ignorant about who Jesus really was? And for me, it might have made sense for me years before when my life was so dysfunctional. It would have made sense for me all those years of, from 16 to 26, especially 24, 25, it would have made sense for me to become a Christian then because I was such disarray, such, so dysfunctional, so messed up. Sure, I cry out to Jesus because I need a way out. I need something better than what I'm doing now. But now it made no sense. Now I'm 26, kind of an adult. Married to an awesome woman, got the best job basically I'd ever had, beautiful baby girl, friends. It didn't make sense now because now life was good, probably as good as it had ever been as an adult. But I couldn't shake it. I couldn't explain it, but I couldn't explain it away. It's funny how we most often don't see God coming, but we sure see it after he's been there. We see the evidence of his fingerprints. You know, I was listening that we were part of the Global Leadership Summit this week. Those of you who know about that, we, we've been attending for the staff and some of our leadership team have been doing that for, for years and years. I've been going for probably 25 years in some form, maybe not every year, but close to it. But, but it's one of my favorites and uh, things to attend. But I, one of the things that Pastor Albert Tate said, it, he and a friend of his were talking and, and talking about the pandemic. And, and it just made this statement. He said, what if the global pandemic was not the test, but a lesson, and now is the test? What if now we're being tested of what we learned in the pandemic? Instead of the pandemic being the test, the test is now. Isn't that somehow, some ways, when God comes and, and we see it later going, oh, that wasn't what I thought it was. But it was God in the midst of all of it. But John... He spoke with the word, Logos, the word. And the people who were hearing it at the time, they knew when they heard it, it was not only the spoken word, but the unspoken word. It wasn't just the things I, just not the words I was saying, but it was what the idea behind it, the why behind it. The reason behind it. Why, if I say words to you, isn't it more just as important the words I say to you, the words that come out of my mouth? That's why I said it. The reason. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was God in the beginning. Obviously, if you if you know your scripture, you know there's this rhythm of Genesis 1:1. The word was with God. Understand, this is more than just being with someone. Like, for instance, this morning, 
You could say you attended church with so-and-so. But you're sitting over here, and they're sitting over there, and you both go home later. That's a with, right? I attended church with. No, this is about the fact that you attended church with them sitting face-to-face across from each other, talking about the most soul cries you have. It's an intimate thought. So it's not like, oh, he was with God. Yeah, he was over there. He was the son. He was way back over there, and God's doing all. No, he's with God. He's face-to-face. He's intimate. In the beginning, the word already was the Alpha and the Omega. Before everything else existed, I am was there. Jesus did not only come in the middle of history, he came in the fullness of time. But he was there in the beginning. And friends, he will be there in the end. (laughs) Just read your scripture. (laughs) All things, verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. If you're parents, you know you'll kind of get what I'm saying here. And if not, you've probably seen it or you've had it happen to you as a child. But it's almost like John is wanting to grab your face and won't you say, look at me, and begins to speak going, I don't want you to miss this. Please, I'm going to repeat this more than once because everything hinges on him being there in the beginning. Everything. It didn't just start at this birth and all of a sudden the father and the son have a relationship. It didn't just happen at the baptism, baptism and we know it was there. It didn't just happen at the death and the resurrection. No, they were already intimate before then. Everything hinges on the fact, and this is what John is trying to hammer home, everything hinges on he was there in the beginning. And we're going to challenge you here in a little bit with this book, and many of you already have that, so if you already have one, don't get two today, okay? (laughs) If you already have one, hang on to it. We're going to challenge you a little bit with that. But in the introduction here, there's a, a little deal that I, I just thought, man, I love the way they write this. It's, and you can look it up if you get one of these books today. But you can look it up. But I love this. And I want to read it for us. And, and I love the way they write it. It said, and it's, it goes like this. He spoke and galaxies whirled into place. Stars burned the heavens and planets began orbiting their suns. Words of awesome, unlimited, unleashed power. He spoke again, and the waters and lands were filled with plants and creatures running, swimming, growing, and multiplying. Words of animating, breathing, pulsing life. Again he spoke, and man and woman were formed, thinking and speaking and loving. Words of personal and creative glory. Eternal, infinite, unlimited. He was is and always will be the maker and Lord of all that exist. And then he came in the flesh to a speck in the universe called planet Earth, 
The mighty creator became a part of the creation, limited by time and space and susceptible to aging, sickness, and death. But love propelled him, so he came to rescue and save those who are lost and give the gift of eternity. He is the word. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. We have to know that. We have to believe that. It didn't just start when he was born in a manger. He is God. Johnson, you can't miss this. Everything hinges on this. Then we begin to think the importance of words. Jesus is the word. God says, and Isaiah, my word will not return empty. Jesus, when he's tempted in the desert, it is written. For some of you, even from last week's message and revelation, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their words. The power of words and the reason behind the words. I mean, just a few little words. Like, for instance, in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The difference between death and life, the spoken word, the word, more than just the spoken but the reason. The reason I recommend the book of John, and like I've said, I've read it so many times now, but and since anyone who's never really read the Bible, or especially someone who's just given their life to Christ, or they don't really know anything about Christ, and they want to, I, I recommend the book of John because John obviously I'm quoting him, those who don't know it, but I was quoting him earlier as my own statement in John 20, 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life through his name. John's saying, that's the reason why I wrote it. If you're looking for the reason why John wrote it, the reason. Not just the words, but the reason. The logos. Why is this scripture here? So that you will believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. That you may have life. You know, life is used 36 times in the book of John. Zoe. Vibrant life. Well, you're alive. It's more than just breathing. It's more than just staying, you know, straight up, staying above ground instead of six feet under. It's more than that. It's life the way it's intended. Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. One of the crazy things for me, I know, is I gave my life to Christ years ago, and one of the challenges we're going to have through this series is 
I'm just about to tell some of the people who are about to preach. I think I have not left that in their notes yet. <laughs> because we've got about five, quite a few of us are going to preach this series. But talking about the Jesus we know is part of that. And one of the things for me is when I gave my life to Christ that day, and I've, I, looked, I had a whole different lens to look at the rest of the world. From that day forward, the life that I was given, I walked out of that church on that day, maybe even the night before really when I really committed personally, but Sunday was committed publicly. I looked at the world different. I looked at trees different. I looked at every I looked at babies different. I looked at everything different. I had a clearer vision. Now, we know that Scripture says we're still going to be a little foggy until we see Jesus face to face. We know that. It won't ever be fully clear. But, man, I'm seeing things clearer. Now, I see things differently. Not only my purpose in life. I don't just show up to work at IUMAX and run a meal. I don't just do that. I go there for a purpose. Because I am now, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the city on the hill that's not supposed to be hidden. I'm not supposed to put it under a basket. I'm supposed to let my light shine. You mean I have a greater purpose than making money and making sure I raise my kids right and loving Jen? I have a greater purpose than that? I did. Crazy. In a moment. Believing that he is who he says he is. And not understanding basically any of it. I didn't know who John West is, John Calvin. Knew a few other Johns, but that's about it. I didn't know any of those guys. I just knew Jesus. Just came into my life and blew it up. I didn't even really know Jesus. But I knew something had changed, and I began to walk the best I understood and step with the Spirit, even though I didn't know that Scripture yet either. <laughs> Matter of fact, I didn't know any Scripture. I couldn't have told you what John 3.16 said. I sure can't tell you what the sermon was that day. I know what the invitation song was. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That was the name of it. Gospel according to Kurt. A gospel according to the Jesus I know. What would be in it? What would you write? It's a strange thing that Jesus did before he left the earth. He threw this out there, I think probably in passing and hoping somebody would take it serious, but if not, okay. All the authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me to go into all the world, to make disciples, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's probably just a passing thing. And he was thinking, well, maybe a few people might get it. Hopefully somewhere out there somebody might grab that. You know I'm trying to be ridiculous there for a point. What if... Again, without you thinking I'm sacrilegious. What if there should be a gospel according to? You just put your name in there. That you'd be looking for ways. But the only way I write this and the only reason I tell this is so that you may know Jesus Christ and be saved. I'm not leaving it to the preacher, man. Even though the preacher man's got to be doing it too in his own personal life. But what if my whole life, I love what Paul says. I know we've got to wrap up, but I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.3. Clearly, and he's writing to those in Corinth, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. The letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on our own human hearts. That my life is writing a letter to you. My life, in so many ways, is a gospel. As John would state, that you may know him and follow the living God and have life. What if that was our call? What if when we got saved, he didn't just take us on to heaven, but he left us here for a reason? What if that every day you get up, you've got a grander purpose than you ever thought? And it's not to just grind out this day. Because we, many of you in here know it, this for a fact, in a moment this thing changes. And a spoken word. Like for yourself, do you speak life or death? Words that come out of your mouth have a reason why you did it. Matter of fact, I think Scripture says it comes out of the overflow of the heart. If I'm not confused about that. The words that you speak come out of what's down in your depth of your soul. That's the reason why we got to make sure what's there. The gospel according to. So, our challenge. We have got a challenge over these next many weeks. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to disclaimer it up front. As a staff meeting this week, we were probably not going to do what I'm about to challenge you with. And the reality is, you don't hurt our feelings if there's not enough sign up for it because we'd already decided not to do it. How about that? <laughs> so you get a chance to either vote us in or vote us or, or just confirm what we thought. So we're already already over there. So you don't hurt our feelings. And that is this. Over the next ten, seven weeks, to take this book of John, or you can do your own, but the reason why I like this one is because it's got study guide notes and everybody comes to the table with the same thing. I know those online... You can do it on your own, and you can maybe call a friend that maybe would do it with you. I realize right now we know because of COVID specifically, 
that there's concern still around that, and I understand that, so I'm not trying to uh, ask somebody to do something they shouldn't do. Even our groups, even dinner on the grounds, you don't have to come. I mean, I, I, I get that, so we're cool with that. But the challenge is this, but it doesn't let you off the hook on this, is what I'm trying to get at. To read three chapters a week over the next seven weeks. I heard the other day, and I know I've heard it before, and so you're one, maybe one habit away from change, changing the trajectory of your life. One habit. Just one habit of how you look at life. One habit. And so we're challenging you to potentially sign up. I might have got up there. But to, but to sign up out in the four-year day, and you can check committed, and you're just going to do the, do the deal. And then there's another line that says committed plus Sunday, meaning 9.15 to 10.15 for the next seven Sundays. You're going to do everything you can to show up outside of, obviously, being out of town. We're not doing Zoom on this thing. Being sick, obviously, that's one thing we've kind of learned over the last, last many months and the last six. If you're sick, stay home. If you're, you know, those kind of things. We, we get all that. And we realize there are extenuating circumstances that may cause you not to be here. But your commitment is, is to try to be here. And what we're going to challenge you is, is to take one chapter a day. Everybody can do the reading way they want. This is just my suggestion. Like this week, chapter one's tomorrow, chapter two Tuesday, chapter three Wednesday, chapter one Thursday, chapter two Friday, chapter three Saturday. The word's living and active. You can read it one time and come back again and read it again. But what I'm going to ask you to do, though, is not be a speedboat, but a glass bottom, bo- glass bottom boat. That you drive slow across the lake, don't just try to get to the other side as fast as you can. Slow down. Look down underneath and see what's inside of that scripture. And you may be wrong. If you knew my theology the first year I was saved, people still came to know Christ, and I was, I was so far off base on some things. But God knew my heart because the only reason I was telling it is so some may know him and by knowing him be saved. What would be in your gospel? You got a reading plan there? Wouldn't it be interesting by the time we get to this end of this seven weeks, you could write down a few things about the gospel according to you. What you learned about Jesus by reading the book of John, because John's viewpoint of wanting to tell you how personal and intimate this relationship can be. So that's the challenge. Words, the word. Actually, watch this video because one of the things I realize is, and you've heard me say it often here, thank you is not enough because sometimes we don't have the word. Some of you have seen this before, but let's show it as we close out before we go to the fellowship hall.